having this memory of the conversation I had with Annie Tam, and it was so profound. There were so many things that she said that I walked away thinking about after that conversation. It's kind of like digesting a really rich dinner. It was like, how do I process all of these thoughts? And so it took a little bit of time, actually, even sorting through this episode, deciding it was going to become two episodes. I will release them at the same time because I do think some will just want to listen to both back to back. And some of you may want to break it into two because there's so much here. I think either are great because each of these topics and the wholehearted inventory that we're going to talk about, they are connected, but they are separate. And so as you are reflective of your own results, I really encourage you to take this inventory for yourself, which of course is in the show notes. I want you to also be reflective that we are all in process. We are all in motion. We are all working one direction or another, and it's not linear. It's not permanent. And I love that this conversation specifically does not paint anyone into a category. I've noticed over about the last five years, I have really pulled back from being interested in inventory sorters that assign descriptions to people. Not because I don't think that there's truth sometimes to those inventories. I think there's accuracy in them at times. But what I notice is it gives people permission to behave a certain way, when in turn, there's always an opportunity to evolve and grow and do better and notice patterns and decide that sometimes those patterns don't serve us. And so what I love about this conversation is it actually had a lot more to do with a continuum and that we are always in emotion with that continuum, especially when we're aware of it it becomes something that we can use to grow instead of run from, instead of thinking, oh, I'm just this way. Nobody is just this way. When it comes to wholehearted living and this particular inventory, I just love it. So this episode is broken into two. It's a lot of content, so I wanted to give you a chance to digest and process, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts. I think you're gonna be really amazed by all of the topics that we cover. Enjoy. I am so glad to be here with my friend, Annie Tam. She has been so abundant for me and with me over the years. We have formed a friendship. We met taking pure bar classes many years ago. And I just adore her because of her willingness to be vulnerable, even as a licensed professional counselor. And she's incredibly successful. She is the owner of Mend Counseling. She's a co-founder of the A&K Collective. I'm going to give her a chance to share more about what that is, but I don't have her on because she's this incredible, successful professional. She's on today because I am really excited to have this conversation specifically about wholehearted living. Annie, would you share just a little bit more about yourself, your background, and how this this topic became a major passion of yours. Yes. Thank you first for having me on. Very excited to be here. It's so fun to see how our friendship has gone from taking pure bar classes from you (laughs) years ago. And now we're moms and um, we do, you know, similar work, not the same, but it's really 
it's been really fun. So thank you for having me on. Happy to be here. So I originally started as a teacher that led me to school counseling, which led me to private practice and open mend at the end of 2015. And now it's a collaborative boutique practice in Dallas where there's eight of us that see ages four and up for a variety of, of reasons, variety of issues. And then I also have the A&K Collective with my counselor friend, Catherine McNear. And we started this just kind of dreaming about what we would love to have as moms, retreats that we could go to and grow and learn and relax and laugh and have fun. And that started A&K Retreats, which then kind of birthed into A&K Collective, which we offer workshops and speaking events, one-on-one coaching and retreats that we love to do. We have a mom's retreat coming up that we can link information for any of you who are interested where we're going to talk about wholehearted living. And this just became a passion of mine really in my own life as I became a mom and was a business owner and just feeling drained in a lot of areas of my life and things that I was as passionate about so many things. And I'm a visionary. I have a lot of visions, a lot of ideas, a lot of things going on at one time. And I was really just not loving everything about what I was doing. I wasn't finding the joy in it. And I love Brené Brown. I've always been a big Brené Brown fan. And I had read, you know, The Gifts of Imperfection a while ago, years ago, whenever it first came out. And then it kind of set it away. And, you know, it was very, I loved it when I read it. But I think, you know, it wasn't until a few years later when I reread it that it really was good timing for me to read it. And I was ready to really start implementing things into my into my life and these guideposts that she talks about to truly wholeheartedly live and love and get what I want most out of life and enjoy it since we only have one life to live. So it was really kind of through my own journey that I found the value of what it means to to live wholeheartedly. So I started integrating it in my practice with many of my clients that I was seeing and they really enjoy it, enjoyed it and, you know, saw the benefits from it. And just kind of in a practice it's that I bring into, into the room most of the time with, with most people that I am working with, whether they're a mom or an entrepreneur or a perfectionist, that's kind of the categories, the main categories of people that I work with and it's applicable for everybody. So, yeah. And I know you sent me the link to take the inventory. So there is an inventory that someone can take and we'll of course link it, but walk through what that inventory is designed to uncover for someone. Yeah. So when we talk about wholehearted living, there's really 10 guideposts that kind of make up how to, you know, journey towards a life that is more wholehearted. And so, you know, we're talking about cultivating certain things in our, in our life and letting go of the opposite. And so this inventory is created for, for you to really see what areas, what guideposts, again, there's 10 of them that where are you in these guideposts? Where are you in that journey of, you know, cultivating authenticity and letting go of what others think? So you can kind of see where you are. It's kind of fun to, to take it and maybe take it a year later after doing some work and changing some things and, and seeing how you've grown the areas that you still need work in. But ultimately it's for you to just kind of see where you are, engage where you're at and where you want to go and make a plan on how to get there. Is there, I mean, 
I know in taking it, certain questions were easier or harder to answer than others. Does that reflect anything when you're taking the assessment and it's actually a little bit more challenging to see where you land on something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of this is about self-awareness, right? So like when we're taking this, it's one, you need to to accurately answer it. So it, so many of you know my clients are perfectionists. And so we're always thinking that there's a perfect answer, right? And we want to be perfect and we want to have this be our answer. And so it's important, you know, when you're taking really any sort of assessment like this to answer it where you are accurately, not what you want to be, but where you really are in that journey. So some things are going to come a little bit easier to you because you're, you're fairly self-aware in that area. Others may not be. And you have to really think about like, Oh, where am I? And, you know, for your perfectionist, maybe you're grappling too and answering that question like, Oh gosh, like this is where I would like to, I would like to say this, but I'm actually, I'm not doing great in that category. And that's really hard for me to take in. And what is that going to look like? And so maybe all these thoughts into your head and make it a little bit more difficult, but yeah, it's a lot about self-awareness and, and really knowing where you truly authentically are right now in these stages. So so I know for me in taking this, what was really eye-opening were the 10 categories, like the 10 guideposts, because some of those things I think about really often. I think about them frequently in the work that I do. And some of them just quite honestly, were not so much on my radar. So mm-hmm. I think it might be helpful to go through them break them down a little bit, share some insights in those areas, maybe some more than others. If there's some that you feel like you spend more time on typically, I think that would just be really useful. Yeah, definitely. So the first one, I, this is one I, I figured would be on there. <laughs> like this one seemed pretty obvious to me. Mm-hmm. Can you walk through this? Cause I know a lot of people struggle in this area. Yeah. So letting go of what people think and cultivating authenticity you know, authenticity is who you really are, right? I think it involves the self-awareness. It involves knowing what's important to you, your values. It involves, you know, kind of asking yourself, who am I when I'm at my best? So there's a lot of, you know, questions you can ask yourself to really get to your authentic self. So many of us struggle with people pleasing, right? Or comparison or you know, I can't do that because so-and-so is going to think less of me or, you know, they're going to realize that I don't have everything together or whatever the thought is, right? But being authentic is understanding who you are and being okay with that, accepting that, right? It's like, this is me, take it or leave it. This is who I am at my core. This is what is important to me. And being able to just kind of let go of that thought that's always in your head of like, oh, what are other people going to think? You know, if I do this, if I state, you know, my opinion on this matter, am I going to lose friends? Am I going to lose followers? Right. So that's what it means when we're talking about authenticity. What's so interesting as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, because you mentioned followers, just Mm -hmm. that word, I thought, I wonder if authenticity, as much as we talk about social media being a chance to be our most authentic selves and show up and connect with people, if sometimes it doesn't just create the opposite effect for most people, because that self-judgment kicks in Mm -hmm. and that immediate knowing somebody's not going to like what I have to say. Mm -hmm. And instead of focusing on the the majority of people who probably do love you and value you regardless of maybe your opinion on one thing or another. You know, I think that's so interesting because 
that word came up more with the inception of social media. I feel like that word authenticity. And yet I do think it almost creates a new barrier for people. Have you seen that in your practice? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of people get frustrated with social media and just, you know, a lot of it leads to the comparison game, right? That's a huge piece of which we'll talk about comparison here in a little bit on a different guidepost. But just as far as authenticity goes, it's is this person, is that who they really are? Or are they just putting out what they know their audience wants to hear? Or, you know, what the majority of people are going to agree with or find interesting? Or sometimes the opposite too, right? Of like, are they just trying to get attention, no matter whether it's negative or positive, right? So I think it's, you know, there's a lot of mistrust on social media and really wondering what people's, what are the, what's their motivations, right? Behind what they're posting and getting frustrated because of that, right? I think too, you know, we always say it's the highlight reel. It's everybody's like best times and it can look like they live a perfect life and stuff whenever that's not the case for anybody. And I love how some people, you know, have really made it a point to say like, Hey, this is actually what's going on in my life. And it isn't all perfect. And there's really hard times too. So I'm normal, right? I think that that's, that's nice when people do that. But for the most part, you know, it is a highlight reel and people are just posting like the best pieces. So yeah, I, I think, I mean, I agree as far as like that word being becoming more popular and people really getting more concerned with authenticity since social media has become so popular. Yeah. It's just an interesting thought because I, I know that that word is something I think about quite, quite frequently as a business owner, as a mom, as, you know, someone who has a presence on social media with this podcast. And I think a lot of times I know that that will draw in the right people and also repel the the right people, you uh-huh. know, and there, there has to be a knowing in that, that there's also that acceptance of, because we're not just in a vacuum living our own life. Like we interact with people, we have intersection with other people's opinions and life, and there's no way to live separate from that. So it's something I often am just aware of because of that. And I think a lot of people are. So any discussion around that is always useful to me. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people can go, okay, yeah, I, I need to actually consider how all these guideposts fit into my life. And that's not all social media related because obviously that's not our entire life. So I love that. Would you like to go to number two? I think there's some interest there too. Yeah. So cultivating self-compassion and letting go of perfectionism. This is a lot of the work that I do with clients, especially those perfectionists, one Enneagram types, right? That have a really hard time with giving themselves compassion. And They might have a loud inner critic, really hard on themselves. So this is one that I see show up a lot. And some things that you can do for this self-compassion. I I love Dr. Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion. She has a website too that you can go to and take a self-compassion test. But I think that, you know, people understanding what self-compassion actually is, because a lot of times we hear that word and we just kind of turn it into self-love. Right. And that's, that that is a piece of it, but it's not all that self-compassion is. It's self-kindness versus self-judgment. It's common humanity versus isolation. It's mindfulness versus over-identification. So there's like, there's a lot of thoughtful pieces to self-compassion and learning what those are and how to cultivate that in your life, I think is really helpful. You know, I think one of my favorite things to, to give 
my clients is find a picture of yourself when you are four, five, six years old. Keep that with you in your wallet and your purse and take that out when you're being, when you're being hard on yourself, right? When that inner critic is, is speaking really loud and ask yourself, look at that little, little girl, little boy and ask yourself, how would I speak to this child? How would I, how would I speak to my, my child self and change that dialogue? Right. I think it's also really helpful to name your inner critic. So we do a lot of that work with perfectionists. Give them a name, right? Let's treat this separate from you. It's not who you are. It's not your identity. Let's separate that from yourself and, and talk back to it. Right. Tell them like, Hey, get out of here. I don't need that. You know, I'm not perfect and it's okay. I'm never going to be perfect. No one is perfect. Right. We're all in this together. We're all human. We all make mistakes and that's okay. We learn from those and it's what we do in response that's important, not the perfection. I feel like we could have a whole discussion just on perfection Mm -hmm. as a topic because it seems so heavy, like so many pieces that contribute to that. So we might, that might have to happen at some point because there's so many. And I know that's a big part of the work that you do because it's so prevailing in terms Mm -hmm. of need. I think what will connect for most who are listening to this is that you're right. I think we've identified self-love and self-compassion as one and the same. So I, I'm going to highly recommend that we all take that self-compassion quiz and I will link it in the show notes for sure, because yeah. I'm very interested to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, definitely. We'll link that. I think it's great for people to understand that more because a lot of people, they really kind of, they may not love that self-love you know, idea and what that is. And it doesn't feel maybe authentic, right, to them. And so I think really understanding what self-compassion is would be very helpful in the pieces of that. So I could do a whole nother <laughs> podcast on that too. So Yeah. Well, there's a huge difference between gentleness and loving. Like, because I, the way I receive that self-compassion is there's there's all these levels to what you described, those different characteristics, but also because of that, Iris received that more being gentle with yourself and fully appreciating so many aspects of yourself, not just like loving for the sake of just like ignoring the things that you don't. It's just paying attention to all the intricacies. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the case, perfection doesn't even have a full description, right? Because what is perfect as individuals, we are different, you know, by design. Mm -hmm. So who would get to decide what perfectionism actually looks like and is? I think that's right. that's an area that is a lot of exploration, I'm definitely, sure. Definitely, definitely. Because, you know, that doesn't exist. And yeah, perfection, our own definitions, are, it's also subjective. And, you know, ultimately, if perfection is without flaw, then that doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. Okay, the next guidepost, I... I'm curious about this one. I love the word resilient. Mm -hmm. Can you explain this a little bit more? Yeah. So cultivating resiliency and letting go of numbing or powerlessness is this guidepost. And so when we talk about resiliency, it's like your ability to deal with the things that are hard, your ability to, to process through them, go through them and come out on the other side, you know, a stronger individual because you've gone through that. It's also the ability to laugh at yourself and your mistakes. Laughter is a huge piece of resiliency. You know, again, bringing that perfectionism, it's like, 
I'm not perfect. You know, like, what did I think I was going to do? Right? Like being able to just have fun with yourself and laugh. Mm -hmm. Right. And so yeah, just your ability to go through something that is difficult and come out a, a stronger, changed, better version of yourself on the other side. So the numbing, the powerlessness piece to this, letting go of that, you know, I think it's important to really look at your life and how ask yourself, how do I numb? Right? Because we all kind of have our vices, our things that we go to. Some of us, it's TV, some of us, it's food, some it's alcohol. We all have our vices, right? And these are things that we numb with. So we want to be able to identify those and then kind of ask ourselves when we're recognizing that we're, we're going towards a numbing strategy, are we going to step forward into courage? Or are we going to step back into what's comfortable? And Brené Brown talks a lot about courage and bravery and you know, and that is courage. That is courageous, right? To be able to say like, no, I'm not going to have a glass of wine because like, I know, I know how that'll make me feel. And I know that I would enjoy that glass of wine, but what's something that I could do differently, right? That would help me to develop some of that resiliency. Maybe it's that, you know, you're going to do an art project, do something creative. Maybe it's, you need to go for a walk, right? Maybe it's just something different that's going to be a positive thing for you that's going to allow you to kind of go through your feelings go through the process of what you've been through and come out on the other side something that i notice in the patterns you were just describing is this this notion of deserving things mm-hmm. and i'm sure you see that quite often it's i i would imagine it's kind of a mind game we we trick mm-hmm. ourselves into believing mm-hmm. not to say that you know, there hasn't been accomplishment that leads you to feeling like there's an achievement of some sort. Maybe that is true, but then attaching it to an, I deserve this because of that. Like I've noticed that pattern a lot in my own circles and in my own life, even, you know, just paying attention to what does my brain immediately go to when I'm successful? Mm -hmm. It's like celebrate. Okay. What does celebrate Mm -hmm. equate to? But it's interesting that you're describing that too, is that's on the spectrum of numbing and powerlessness, which is the opposite of probably what in the moment you think it is. Right. So it's like paying attention to those patterns and then reassigning maybe what, like you described, what that is that you are choosing. And again, it's not like a ding on alcohol or a ding on like going to a celebratory dinner or anything like that. It's just noticing I would imagine the pattern becoming ingrained Mm -hmm. so much so where it becomes just automatic and it's like this loop that you've created. Oh, definitely. I I see that all the time. And and yeah, I think it's people use that language like, I deserve that extra cookie or, you know, I deserve another glass of wine or whatever it is, right? Like it's, we do use that language quite a bit, but you know, is it just something that you're, you've kind of, you use the word ingrained, right? Like you're used to going to, to rewarding yourself with? And would there be something more rewarding, right? That you're just not thinking out of the box. And so kind of taking yourself out of that box and what would really be good for me, beneficial for me, right? What'd be better for me than that? Because, you know, you can have an extra cookie anytime you want. 
right? <laughs> yeah. You actually don't have to wait to accomplish something to have an extra cookie. Right. Now, I don't know if I want to be reminded of that too much either, but yes, I totally know what you're saying. Cause yeah, it just, but when, when we think of resiliency on the other side of that, I guess that's what's so interesting to me because I would never equate another glass of wine with, you know, on the continuum on the other side is resilient spirit, Mm -hmm. cultivating a resilient spirit. So it is like, once you notice that it does bring awareness to something entirely different in those decisions and the resiliency thing, I think has been really tested the last few years. And I think a lot of people feel like they're not as resilient or they, they do feel resilient, but they feel very banged up over that resiliency that they've held onto. So it is an interesting time to be examining that. No, definitely. Well, and we're all, we're all very resilient because of what we've gone through. Right. I mean, over the past two years, like there's no other way to call that. Like that has definitely helped increase our resiliency, but you know, just some other practical things that you can do as far as resiliency goes. I mean, it's looking at your support, right? Like who, who is in your inner circle? Who are the people you can go to? Do you need to work on your ability to seek out help and support? Or are you able to do that easily? You know, because a lot of times that's hard for people to ask for help. So where are you at in that? How capable are you of managing your feelings when you have those big, overwhelming feelings? What do you do with that? Do you need help to learn how to cope with those? you know, new skills to be able to do that and to feel good about yourself, right? And that response is what's important. You know, how connected are you to others? What does your social support look like? These are all things that, you know, really help build resiliency. As far as the pandemic goes, I say we're all pretty resilient after that. We're still here. We're still going. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It was tough. I know. I know. It's not wild. We're in the midst of like learning more about that every day, which is also why these guideposts, my guess is that they are a live take on where you mm-hmm. are. They can evolve. Is that right? Oh, for sure. Definitely. That's the goal is to hopefully evolve and grow okay. in each of these and, you know, your cultivation of these guideposts. So definitely they can. Because a lot of times I would say, yeah, like personality assessment, sometimes people say, well, you, you likely wouldn't shift in a tremendous way over the course of your lifetime. Mm-hmm. This is very different in that yes. respect. Yeah, okay. this is very different. Kind of looks like where it would depend on, you know, what you're looking at personality wise. But, you know, this is something that you definitely can grow in. And there are a lot of practicals and skills that you can use to build your cultivation of these guideposts in your life. And yeah, there's a lot of movement, hopefully in these. Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's go to number four. I love number four. Would love to get more into that. Yes. Cultivate. Yeah, cultivating gratitude and joy and letting go of scarcity and fear of the dark. So I mean, I love practicing gratitude. I don't do it enough. It's something that I talk about all the time and having a practice of gratitude. A lot of people forget that gratitude, it's the precursor to joy. So a lot of times we think of it the opposite way, like, you know, we experience joy or something great happens and then we're thankful and we express gratitude. Let's actually gratitude comes first and then joy follows. And so cultivating a 
life of gratitude, a, a thankfulness practice, I think is one of the most important things somebody can do in their life. If they don't do anything else, you know, waking up each morning and spending, even if it's just a couple of minutes in gratitude, I feel like is such a tremendous way to get your day started and, and change your shift, your perception on, on your day, on your life. So, you know, for this, you know, I talk about having a gratitude journal. I think that's really important to have. I think that a lot of times when we start to feel like we're in a negative space, headspace, or our body's starting to feel something that we don't like, if we can try to first go to gratitude, it really changes the way those thoughts and feelings end up. So that's something that I really encourage people to try to to really catch themselves first whenever be in tune with your body. Notice whenever you start thinking negative thoughts and when your body start to, starts to have maybe tension, maybe your heart starts beating faster, whatever it is. And first thing, breathe and express gratitude. So I love this one. And when people struggle with, well, there's just so much that's wrong. It's hard to focus on what's right. Like I, I've heard people say that mm -hmm. before. What ideas do you have for, for them? Because obviously that's, it's always a choice where your focus is going mm -hmm. and everyone I'm imagining feels like they have a variety of things in their orbit, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot's going on for everybody. So it's not to say that that's not true. Mm -hmm. It just means it still is an intentional choice where, where your focus goes. But what, what ideas do you have for someone that is struggling with that? So a couple of things. One, we really only need to think of one thing positive, right? I mean, they do not need to have a hundred things that are going right, that they're really grateful for. Everybody has one thing. You can think of one thing. You might have a lot of negative things going on around you, but you have one thing that is going well, you know, whether it be your, your friendships, your family, maybe your hair looks good that day. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there is something there, right? Maybe it's a pet, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, if there is something there that is good. And if you're always bringing up that one thing, that's okay. It's a place to start. The other thing is taking a step back because it's real. A lot of times these people are micro thinking, like they're just really stuck on the, the little things. And if they'll just take a step back mm -hmm. and look at the big picture, they'll probably be able to identify some things that are going well. And they won't feel so bogged down in the negativity and the frustration or overwhelm or whatever they want to call it. So just really taking a step back, thinking in a higher sense. And we talk about like the visual of a ladder, right? You're on the low rungs, you're really like into the nitty gritty and specifics and go ahead and climbing up that ladder so that you have a bigger view of what's really going on. Yeah. So visualize yourself crawling up that ladder and how is your perception changing? So those are a couple of the things that I would, I would say could be helpful. I really love this actually takes me back to an old book that I mean, it's not too old, but Anne Voskamp wrote 1000 Gifts. And it is still one of my favorite books that is just a beautiful way. She's a beautiful writer, number one, but it's amazing the things that she finds in just everyday ordinary life that she expresses gratitude for. Like one thing that stands out is when she does the dishes and the light was shining in through the window and the bubbles had like that prism of color on them and expressing gratitude for that. Like this is 
beautiful in the midst of doing a chore that I don't love, right? Like there's a beautiful gift right there. So I love that book. And I recommend that to a lot of people too, who it is a Christian book, but it's, it's a really beautiful book on, on how to find gratitude in the ordinary. It's like having that childlike sense of Mm -hmm. wonder about what's actually going on around you, because it's not, it's not that it hasn't been going on around you this whole time. It's just paying attention to it and seeing it for what, what it is. I think that's, that's what helps me if I'm, if I'm swirling in this space of like worry or frustration, or I guess scarcity Mm -hmm. is what we were talking about there. Like the fear of, you know, what could be so that, that brings it back to the reality of actually what is there's usually something good there. Definitely. Yeah. I think, you know, that, and that scarcity thinking we, a lot of us do it. Brene Brown talks a lot about foreboding joy, right? So like, Oh, something's going to happen. When's the shoe going to drop? Right? Like I've been having good things happen in here for a while this week. What's, what's next? When's the bad thing, you know, going to pop up and just really going from that, that scarcity mindset to a mindset of abundance and believing those things for yourself being able to fully live in the moment of that joy, right? Giving yourself permission to embrace the happiness and the joy that you're feeling. And I think that practicing gratitude in those moments is what allows you to fully grasp it too. And I always love thinking about it from the sense of if you have a lot of really great things happening in your life and you are appreciative of those and you are feeling that joy, it's not taking away from others potential to have really good things going on in their life. It's not a, it's not a limited amount of joy available that only the people who are cultivating it can feel it's actually available for Mm -hmm. everybody. Because I, I do think sometimes that creeps in, like, I don't want to steal their joy by experiencing my own joy. But you know, what I notice is those who have experienced tremendous gratitude and then joy in their life often are looking to call that out in other people's life Mm -hmm. too. Like I see this in you and, and it it helps, you know, to see examples of that around you versus the other, which is like, if you're not seeing it, it actually gets harder to point it out in your own life. So I think that's usually what draws me in when somebody is experiencing that and they're sharing it and there doesn't limit your own ability to feel joy, it can sometimes increase. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. Definitely. You can share in their joy. Okay. Number five. Yeah. Oh gosh. And like, what's, I mean, especially when you love someone, like, is there anything better than seeing them truly having that? Because whether it directly connects with you or not, Mm -hmm. they do. So that's pretty, pretty powerful. Okay. Number five. Yeah. So cultivating intuition and trusting faith and letting go of the need for certainty. This one's hard because everyone, you know, is kind of different in where they are and in faith. What does that mean to you? But as far as like the need for certainty goes, I think that's so many of us that we want that. We want things to be certain. We, you know, we don't want to live in this uncertain world and, and make decisions that we don't know what's going to actually happen. And, you know, when we make that certain decision, we want proof, right? That it's going to, it's going to be okay. And that's the opposite of faith, right? It's the complete opposite. However, telling somebody, you know, it's just have faith, right? Is 
not very helpful. Right? And it's, it's very invalidating <laughs> to, you know, that maybe the anxiety that they're feeling right in that moment. And so kind of giving some people some practicals, like I talk about control here a lot and the locus of control and what's internal versus external, right? There's a lot of things that are outside of our control, but there's always things that are within our control, right? And so sometimes just being able to identify, you know, these are the things that are out of my control, but here are some things that are within my control. You know, I can choose what I do for fun today. You know, I can choose how I exercise. I can choose what I'm going to have for lunch. I can choose who I call on my way home from work. You know, so we always have things that we can choose and we can control. And that, that faith piece, that's a whole lot of podcast episodes <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> Cultivating yeah. faith. Yeah. Right? And it really just depends on where you are in that. But I find, you know, for me, like just kind of having a centering prayer life, that gratefulness that we talked about a minute ago, that practice of that, I think is really helpful and really figuring out, you know, so many people, they don't realize it's easy to go, go through your day, day to day and kind of leave that out of your life. And I found, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people that it's just easy to ignore that, but I think that it's an area that everybody deserves the opportunity to figure out that for themselves. And they deserve the time, you know, and attention to that because, you know, a lot of times it is your life. It is, you know, a lot of times the purpose Mm -hmm. behind your life. One thing that when you were saying that, I thought, why is our natural inclination to when something goes well, the natural response is, that we did that. And when something doesn't go well, it's like, well, that always happens to me. It's just, it's just my luck or it's just outside of my control. Mm -hmm. Kind of like that idea that like, I didn't have any control over that. It's just what happens to me. Why is that a pattern? I, I wondered that because like trusting faith takes developing that muscle and repeatedly doing it so that you build trust in that Mm. because I don't think it's always innate for that's a tough thing to just have innately without developing the muscle of that. So why is that a perpetual thing for for many? I know somebody was (laughs) talking about like the summer solstice, they blaming stuff on the summer solstice, you know, or (laughs) it's outside of your control, right? But like, oh yeah, I'll take credit for that if it's if it's a good thing. I don't know. I I don't know that people are necessarily always like that either. Because I'm thinking about, you know, some of the people that I work with, too, who have a hard time taking credit in general, even for the positive things, you know, but I do think, you know, as far as as faith goes and cultivating, trusting faith and an intuition she talks about here, those instincts. Again, it's it's knowing yourself and it's knowing what you believe and being certain of that. And I think that takes time and it's hard for a lot of people too. I just, you know, look to some of my friends who they are such faithful people and they just, they were created that way. And it's, it's beautiful. I'm not that way. I'm very, (laughs) I am a questioner. I like, I'm constantly like, 
hmm, I don't know, maybe more skeptical in nature. And I like to question things and wrestle with them and say, I like to, I don't really like to, it'd be really nice to not to, but, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's such a beautiful thing whenever you do come across people who have that ability to jump in and believe with their whole hearts. And it's okay, you know, for others to not have that natural inclination. But I think that everybody is deserving of taking that time and figuring that out and, you know, really exploring that. I think that, you know, back to the pandemic, a lot of people throughout the last two years have really re-examined their faith and where they stand and what they believe. And, you know, it's been a really interesting process to walk with a lot of, a lot of clients through that and hard and beautiful, right? At the same time. But I definitely think that it's an area that everyone deserves to spend time in. Yeah. It's an easy one to mm-hmm. avoid if you don't want to. So I think it's good for in taking this assessment to notice it so that it is something that actually yeah. gets attention. Yeah, definitely. So that concludes episode one, which I think I would just press pause on that for a second and sort through some of what you observed. If you haven't yet taken the inventory, definitely do it. You're going to be so glad you do. And don't overthink about what you're assigning a value to. I would really go with where you are currently and then pay attention to areas that you really are motivated to grow into because those are clues. I think that's one of the best ways to detect what's important to you is to pay attention to those clues but not assign any judgment to them while you're taking the assortment. Then I want you to listen to episode two because we get into whole different topics And I think it puts a nice wrapper on why this is valuable. I'm sure you already see it as valuable, but of course, I'd love for you to share this with others. This entire podcast is just a labor of love. I truly believe in the mission of this podcast and and the guests and the topics. And if there's someone you know that you think would really resonate with what we're doing here and love the topics that we share about and the discussions we have, please share this podcast. I appreciate every review and every rating. I read them all and it means the world. So enjoy episode two next.